Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Hey, listeners, let's get into some exciting hot fitness and peak performance topics, shall we? I even made a list. I'm going to free flow it a little bit down the list, but I do have a list of hot, awesome, new fitness trends that I've been thinking about and implementing. But first and foremost, in my mind, in my heart these days, my favorite topic to discuss is the importance of maintaining passion and competitive intensity throughout life. That's a theme I like to hit when I'm interviewed, when I can find a way to talk about it. My favorite vehicle to discuss it is, of course, speed golf. So I should give you a report on my recent participation in the U.S. Professional Speed Golf Championships down in Houston, Texas. And oh man, was it an ordeal, a sufferfest, because we had extreme weather. We teed off in the afternoon. Crazy idea for speed golf. And it was 93 degrees Fahrenheit when I teed my ball up. Heat index was 99 degrees. And I realized that I've never, ever played speed golf in extreme temperatures because speed golfers can only play when there's no other golfers on the course. So that would be first thing in the morning or right before dark is my usual practice time for speed golf. Yeah, so it was pretty crazy, man, because about halfway through the round, um, I started to poop out. The heat got to me. I succumbed to the heat and was reduced to a walk on the course for the first time ever in a speed golf tournament. Oh man, was that humbling. And then uh, I realized, I kind of harkened back to my days as a professional triathlete. What has it been, 26, 27 years since I did a hot weather race? We used to have these races down on a Caribbean island or in Florida or somewhere with oppressive heat, and you just had to suffer through uh, running the 10K or running a longer distance with your body boiling up. And I got transported back there for many years ago, and I started to try to tell myself positive affirmations. You can do this. You've been there before. (laughs) Stay focused. And I'll have to say that hot weather and athletic performance really don't go together And it's really hard to overcome uh, when your body stops sweating and you start getting numb and tingly in your biceps and forearms. So it was a tough battle. But uh, taking control of your thoughts and trying to maintain those positive thoughts when the negative thoughts come creeping in, I feel like that's the essence of peak performance, athletic performance, fitness performance, when you're really suffering and struggling and trying to break through to uh, your best performance or Uh, finish a a really grueling event. So taking control of the mind, keeping those thoughts positive, uh, was doing great on the golf course for some reason, which is really strange because I was near death, but I was hitting great shots and scoring well and hitting these great uh, touch shots under pressure. And I think it was because I was too hot to experience tension, stress, or engage in rumination, all those things that ruin Uh, your natural athletic ability coming out on the golf course. So that was kind of funny. I shot 84, 83 in these incredibly extreme, difficult temperatures. And that's a pretty good score for me on a tough course. So there you go. Distracting 
with uh, severe pain and torture of the physical effort, I actually executed some good stuff. And the whole thing of overcoming the challenge, uh, making it through the round is a positive experience, uh, aligning with that stated goal of maintaining passion and competitive intensity throughout life. But the other reflection I had in the ensuing 14 hours when I was trying to recover in my hotel room and not really feeling well and just trying to force some water and electrolytes down all through the night so I could play the following day, uh, played in the morning, uh, much less extreme temperatures, but still really, really tough and reduced to a walk. Uh, but I made it through the, uh, the 36 hole two round tournament, but it occurred to me that everything, uh, needs to have a little bit of balance and perspective. And I think a lot of times we highly motivated, driven, goal oriented folks can easily overdo it and apply that competitive intensity in a manner that becomes unhealthy. And boy, wasn't it great that I finished proudly standing up. But when that time came on the 13th or 14th hole, when I stopped sweating and started to experience the true symptoms of heat stroke, heat exhaustion, uh, it also would have been a noble gesture and perfectly acceptable to raise my hand and say, I quit because right now I'm getting unhealthy. So you always have to have in the back of your mind that it's okay to tone it down, back off, and try another day when the stars are aligned. And especially when it comes to peak athletic performance, I think the true honor of achieving peak performance is when the circumstances are optimal. And that means your life circumstances. So if you have two little toddlers running around and you look on a screen and it says, hey, sign up for the Ironman and you can be an Ironman someday, maybe that someday should come later after you've finished raising them or uh, downsize your goal so they don't take hours and hours of precious family time that you'll never have back in terms of your child's age two to age three or age seven to age eight. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So put the hammer down, go forward in life, push yourself, challenge yourself, but also have some perspective and some sensibility. (sighs) How about some other things on my top 10 list? If number one was maintain passion and competitive intensity throughout life, but uh, don't participate in speed golf when it's 93 degrees. How about that? How about number two? From my main man, one of the great leaders, thought leaders in the fitness movement, Dr. Kelly Starrett, K-Star. And have you seen his new operation called Ready State? Go check that out. It's really uh, the next progression of all his education and programming. Absolutely fantastic content over there. Uh, But of course, he's the author of Becoming a Supple Leopard, many other books, a huge advocate of flexibility, mobility, comprehensive functional fitness. And he made this quip to me during one of our interviews for the Primal Endurance Mastery course. So if you're an endurance athlete, dig into that stuff because these insights were precious, life-changing primalendurance.fit, as you probably know. Anyway, you know what he said? He said, for endurance athletes, 15 minutes of every training hour should be devoted to flexibility, mobility, injury prevention, gaining basic competency with silly stuff like being able to do a deep squat. I do these things I call a ballet dancer where I'm standing on one leg and extending my other leg straight out at a 90 degree angle. So my legs form a 90 degree angle. My uh, 
extended leg is parallel to the ground. And then I will keep the knee in a fixed position and repeatedly uh, kick back and forth. So uh, bend the knee all the way, kick back. So I'm kind of just uh, working the hip flexors and also working on my balance. I started this drill holding on to a fixed object, uh, trying to hold on with just a pinky, right? Just barely holding on. And then pretty soon letting go. So it becomes a really awesome balance challenge as well as a functional movement for those precious hip flexors that get so compromised by the long periods of time we spend sitting. But that general insight absolutely makes the list that you want to spend 15 minutes of every training hour. And if that seems like a lot to you, and oh my gosh, that means my seven-mile run is only going to be four and a half, pay attention. See what the elite athletes are doing. It's happening all over the place. I just heard a podcast with Gwen Jorgensen Olympic gold medalist in triathlon, the sensational flash that entered the sport, and then what was it, two years later, won the Olympic gold and basically won any every race she entered. No one could catch her. And uh, now she's turned her sights to the marathon, amazingly, so she wanted to go for the Olympic trials and uh, become a straight-ahead runner. But she was saying on the podcast that when she was a triathlete, uh, her training pattern would be um, lace up the shoes, head out the door, put in some nine-minute miles, put in some time on your feet, and then, of course, transitioning into uh, whatever, the swim workouts, the bike workouts, obviously running hard at times, too. But when she's with this uh, organized Nike marathon training program, she relates how she spends about 20 minutes just activating the right muscles, activating the glutes, as Tiger Wood would say, before she even sets foot for a run, and the runs are more purposeful, obviously faster since she's only doing one sport. But that preparation time that all the great elite athletes are uh, engaging in, meanwhile, the amateurs who don't have enough time are just heading out the door and shuffling along with poor form and poor functionality. Uh, Kelly Starrett was mentioning also with uh, bike positioning and compressing your neck and having your angles wrong on the bike can uh, reduce uh, ventilatory efficiency, your breathing, by some 30%, which has a known uh, compromising effect on VO2 max. So you'll be, uh, just because of your crappy form, scrunched up and not allowing your uh, breathing uh, mechanisms to work perfectly, you will suffer a significant decline in performance. So yeah, 15 minutes out of every hour. Wow. And I would have to say, peeps, that I'm pretty much aligned with that. Uh, look at my YouTube video, Brad Kern's Morning Routine, Morning Flexibility Mobility Routine. And I do that every single morning. It takes about 12 minutes, sometimes a little longer if I really go for it. But that's separate and independent from all of my workouts. So before I even consider, let's say, a workout that would go into the training journal or a proper training session, I am getting that 12 minutes in every single day, times 7, times 365. And it puts me at a nice, uh, safer platform uh, from which to uh, conduct all my workouts, uh, much less risk of injury, uh, muscle soreness, and breakdown in form because I'm doing this uh, vigorous session that works the core and works the hamstrings and works the hip flexors every single morning. Number two on the list is Dr. Craig Marker's life-changing insight about hit versus hurt. So hit high-intensity interval training, the hottest training methodology around. It's so much more effective than just straight cardio, right? You've heard this story for uh, years and years as we're now getting into the uh, back into the no pain, no gain mindset where 
you have to go do these crazy workouts in order to uh, achieve uh, fitness competency. You see the commercials for a contraption or for programming, and it's always people uh, sweating, sprinting, giving it their maximum effort, and uh, going into the uh, the fitness clubs. The programming toward the high intensity stuff is always emphasized, rather than a relaxing, breathing-oriented bicycle class. No one's going to sign up for that, right? They want to sweat and scream and hear the loud music. Uh, but Dr. Marker wrote this incredible article on BreakingMuscle.com. You can search for it called HIT versus HURT. And the acronym HURT is High Intensity Repeat Training. The difference being that a prolonged interval session with short rest periods and vigorous work efforts is by nature fatiguing, exhausting, depleting. You're trying to hang on. A lot of times the instructor or the class is asking you to repeat the same uh, work effort on each interval, right? So when we used to train in triathlon, we'd do uh, these long runs of about 12 miles, and in the middle, we would do six times three minutes with 30-second rest jog between the three-minute efforts. And the sixth one, sometimes we do eight, wanted to be just as quality, just as high speed as the first one. Uh, with that short rest period. So you get a pretty vigorous 25-minute uh, session of running uh, at or above anaerobic threshold. Uh, great preparation for races, but when you do it too frequently, of course, it's going to break you down and burn you out. And for many athletes, especially uh, the sub-elite level, the fatigue factor, the recovery uh, consideration uh, outweighs the potential fitness benefits. So when you engage in high-intensity repeat training, it entails taking longer rest periods between your high-intensity efforts, shortening those efforts to a true sprint uh, duration, which is no longer than 20 seconds, and taking long rest periods so you have these explosive efforts that complement your cardiovascular fitness nicely, but they don't break you down and make you tired and fatigued. And that has absolutely transformed my sprint workouts such that I sprint for a shorter duration of time. I take much longer rest intervals in between them. And I can actually sprint more frequently because I don't have that breakdown, burnout, muscle soreness, and tightness for days after these workouts that I used to do that were uh, far more difficult because I wasn't resting uh, very much between my 100 or 200 meter sprints. Obviously, once in a while, you are going to do a race simulation effort or a peak performance simulation effort that they call glycolytic. That's a high glucose burning workout where you might do something like six times three minutes. So you might participate in a really difficult boot camp class or enter a 10K race where you're running at uh, beyond your anaerobic threshold for uh, whatever you can do it in 38, 42, 47 minutes. So those things are precious peak performance efforts that are great to achieve a fitness breakthrough once in a while but not three days a week. That's where the big problem, the big mistake comes. And I go into extreme detail on this topic of high-intensity repeat training on other shows, I think, here and also on Get Over Yourself channel. Number three, breakthrough workouts. Gee, what a new, innovative fitness concept. Yeah, Mark Sisson has been talking about these since 1988 when he wrote his first breakthrough sensational best-selling book, uh, I think it was called Training for Biathlons back then, uh, Duathlon, Biathlon, the run, bike, run sport. And he coined this term breakthrough workout. And that's a workout 
that is difficult and challenging enough to stimulate a fitness breakthrough. So if you might categorize your workouts into a baseline workout, uh, right, a regular regular old training session, it's not really going to stimulate a fitness breakthrough because it's not challenging enough. And then you'll have a recovery workout that is truly restorative, extremely uh, low stress, low intensity. And then, of course, these breakthrough workouts, which can come in the form of an over-distance session. So you're going longer than you have before, perhaps at a comfortable aerobic pace, or a high-intensity session that will stimulate that fitness improvement because of the degree of difficulty. And boy, if you start to adopt this mentality that you can measure your progress entirely on how you do with the breakthrough workouts rather than on this flawed notion of consistency and the egregious misuse of the term consistency when it comes to athletic training fitness goals. Uh, The body does not really respond to consistency in the way that uh, you might respond as uh, someone in, in your career where you show up to work every day and so you get congratulated for your consistency, right? Or being a student showing up to class. But in the dynamic process of building fitness, uh, consistency is often uh, a misdirected goal that can compromise your progress rather than help you improve. So we have to inject that intuitive component to your training decisions where consistency takes a back seat to just going with the flow and taking what your body gives you each day and nothing more. So these breakthrough workouts... Hey, how are you doing on your best days? Judge yourself on your best days, not your worst day or your average day. And you throw these workouts in when you are 100% rested and motivated to push your body to a peak performance effort. So if you have a planned breakthrough workout, like, hey, today we're going to bicycle for five hours. I scheduled it with my buddies. We're out there on the road. It's a beautiful Saturday. It's sunny, perfect weather. And you're just not feeling it after an hour. That's when you have to have the discipline to pull the plug and head home and try again another day when all cylinders are firing. So breakthrough workouts, a very special occasion to push yourself, achieve fitness breakthroughs, and then by consequence, let the other chips fall where they may. Don't stress out about a workout that's 60% of your planned uh, production because it doesn't matter, especially when it's a baseline workout or recovery workout, right? Those chips can fill in wherever, but you have to emphasize those breakthrough workouts and be ready to go and, you know, set yourself up for success by engaging in a sensible stress-rest pattern. So you could even say uh, the next one on the list, if you're counting, this would be number five, is uh, greater fluctuation in stress-rest balance in your training program. I think most uh, fitness enthusiasts, devoted fitness enthusiasts are guilty of kind of a flat line type of stress-rest balance where many days of the week you're pushing yourself with a decent workout. You get that psychological sense of satisfaction that you accomplish something. You can write something down in your journal. You can answer to that strong demand of your ego hanging around in the background, uh, making you feel worthwhile because you did something rather than take a day off or cut your workout in half. Uh, But if you want to have true peak performance goals and also balance or maintain, protect your health in pursuit of ambitious fitness goals, you're going to want to consider uh, greater fluctuation in stress-rest balance. That means making easy workouts easier, 
maybe doing easier workouts more frequently. And then, of course, going for it on those breakthrough workouts. Uh, but even on the breakthrough workouts, I love that insight from uh, Dr. Phil Maffetone and others where we really need to get away from this no pain, no gain mentality that's been uh, sensationalized, glamorized by uh, marketing forces, right? The people that are trying to sell you the clothes and the uh, nutritional uh, products uh, where you can um, watch the watch the actor collapse at the finish line uh, with a you know maximum effort. Uh, but really, if you can exercise some restraint, so oops, we got that on the list too, right? So that's number six. Exercise some restraint to the extent that, as Phil Maffetone says, ninety percent of maximum heart rate is plenty in training. You'd never need to exceed 90% is what he said. Why? Of course, you're going to do it in a race and you have a sprint to the finish and some fool's trying to catch up to you. You're going to light it up and give everything you got, but you don't need to train the body to do that over and over to be able to dig deep and reach for it when the time comes for a true peak performance effort. And that's the mistake that we, uh, we, we don't realize that the body has this tremendous reserve of energy and competitive intensity if we take care of it, but if we abuse it with overly stressful training patterns, then there's nothing in the tank when it's time to dig deep and give that maximum effort in a competitive setting. So using some restraint, 90% of max heart rate is plenty. And also the other insight that's really been bugging me, because this happens to me all the time, muscle soreness is actually an undesirable element of training. You don't want to get sore after workouts. Uh, many people think that soreness is a badge of honor, that you accomplish something. They kind of like that uh, stretchy feeling when they're trying to put their shirt on the next morning and their pecs are pulling apart from that great bench press session. Yes, it implies that there's uh, damage and that you're repairing it and getting bigger. So if you're a young person going for hypertrophy, whatever, knock yourself out. But if you're listening and you're concerned about things like longevity, preserving health, and uh, progressing steadily towards your fitness goals without these undesirable interruptions from things like muscle soreness and the muscle breakdown that occurs, hey, try to stay away from workouts that are inducing muscle soreness over and over. So what's my problem? I don't know, man. I'm trying to maintain high competency in the deadlift and the deep squat and sprinting, and I seem to come up sore quite frequently. One of the things that happens is I get out of practice, whatever, if I'm traveling or um, uh, recovering from uh, you know, a bout of uh, high-intensity workouts strung together, and um, then I get away from the deadlift bar for a while because I don't want to do it while I'm recovering. And then when I go back, maybe I overdo it. So I'm working on it right there with you, trying not to get sore. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the next thing on the list uh, contributes nicely to that idea. So this would be number seven, correct? And that's micro workouts. These are these mini bouts of explosive performance that you can conduct in the course of your busy, hectic day and not even give them a second thought. You don't get sweaty, you don't get tired, but you can haul off any time and do a set of 20 deep squats at your desk at work. Oh my gosh, it's pretty challenging. Uh, try right now if you've never tried it, but when you get to 10, 
you might start feeling a little bit of burn, especially if you take it all the way down, go as far as you can, lowering in that squat, standing back up, such a simple exercise. I have pull-up bars installed uh, in various locations, and when I pass under that bar, if I'm going into the closet, hey, I'll haul off a set of pull-ups, big deal. Uh, Same with seeing the deadlift bar in the backyard. On my best weeks when I'm home and uh, uninterrupted without any excuses like muscle soreness, maybe I'll go out there and do uh, a set or two uh, several days a week. And if you realize how this will add up over time, if I'm doing uh, six reps of 200 pounds, that's 1,200 pounds for a single set, and if I'm doing 10 of those a week outside of my formal structured workouts, that's giving me a fantastic platform from which to launch the formal structured workouts, such as a deadlift session where I'm doing uh, something like a 5 by 5 protocol, popular uh, exercise where you're doing uh, five sets of five reps with plenty of rest in between, so they're really high quality. But that's obviously much more difficult than doing one set at 9.30 in the morning and maybe another set at 2.15, and that's your day. That doesn't really count as a workout, but over time, oh my gosh, Uh, a wonderful way to uh, just establish a higher baseline level of fitness, just like with my morning flexibility mobility routine. Duh, it's only 12 minutes. It's not that hard. It's pretty hard. I challenge you to follow it. If you go look on YouTube, I've worked up to a pretty good overall challenging routine. And it's the cumulative effect of doing that 365 days a year that is the true beauty. Number eight is the fantastic trend toward recovery-based workouts. One leader in the scene is Joel Jameson. You can hear him on this channel if you go search in the archives. Also did a show on Get Over Yourself podcast talking about his so-called rebound workouts, and he has proven with heart rate variability technology. He's a pioneer in that scene. He's been using heart rate variability for uh, 20 years or something, and he has an app called Morpheus. You can go search for that and get all the technology where you can really use heart rate variability to the fullest extent to help guide your training decisions and track your rate of readiness to train as well as your state of recovery. So these workouts, when conducted properly, can actually speed recovery in comparison to sitting around on the couch and eating food, which was always my default recovery protocol uh, dating back to when I was an elite athlete and trying to perform at the highest level. When it was time to recover, oh man, I just go to the video store. Now I'm dating myself, right? There was no such thing as as streaming or anything like that. So you had to go get a bunch of VHS tapes and watch movies all afternoon the day following uh, a seven-hour bike ride or what have you. But now with this specific protocol where you do these uh, sequencing of things like dynamic stretching, foam rolling, just getting the blood flowing... Uh, getting the lymphatic system uh, activated so you can eliminate the waste products more quickly than sitting around on the couch. Uh, There's things like a brief sympathetic fight-or-flight stimulation from a brief effort of intensity followed by a prolonged recovery that gives you this sort of compensatory parasympathetic uh, activation. So if you challenge yourself with, let's say, a 10-second sprint on an exercise bike, no impact, not a big deal. Even the day after a sprint session, of course, you can go in there and do a handful of those, but then do easy recovery pedaling for over a minute after a 10-second sprint. What you're doing is you're teaching your body to compensate for a stressful event, the sprint, with a parasympathetic activation. 
Same with foam rolling. It's the pain, the discomfort of rolling through tight spots along your body that activates the parasympathetic response, the rest and digest, the recovery response due to the uh, brief sensations of pain that's going on when you're doing uh, foam rolling. So you can go organize a nice session at the gym where you're just getting maybe a little sweat going and actually speeding recovery. Wonderful stuff. And then number nine, speaking of heart rate variability, and my fabulous new app called Brad Beat HRV. Go find it on the App Store for iOS only right now. Sorry, non-Apple people. Uh, but anyway, this wonderful app, it's 10 bucks. You will get a really easy-to-use interface. It's simple if you're a non-techie and you just want to get into this heart rate variability scene. Uh, I worked with the developers at Sweetwater HRV, Sweetwater Health, to make a simple user-friendly app that has this wonderful archive ability. So all you do is push a button and all your measurements are archived uh, in their software uh, available at a glance. And you can even download an EKG quality readout of your heart rate variability session. So it's basically, you can take an EKG on yourself every single day and then export it into an Excel spreadsheet and look at the beat-to-beat uh, -beat intervals. It's called the RR interval uh, in your heartbeat when you did your three-minute test. I've identified some weird stuff in there, like skip beats. I had to run it by a cardiologist. They said it's normal, it's fine. Uh, but you can actually uh, check your health in a way that's never been possible before uh, with this breakthrough of mobile technology. So all you need is a, a Bluetooth-enabled strap, like a Polar strap or a Wahoo strap. Pair it with the app. Very simple. You lay in bed first thing in the morning and get an HRV reading start tracking things against baseline, and some new insights that I learned from Joel Jameson that transformed my uh, appreciation, deeper appreciation for HRV, is that a high reading, which is universally regarded as awesome. Hey, your HRV is high. That means you're really super extra rested. Well, not necessarily. So if you get a reading that's significantly higher than your baseline HRV, it could be an indication that your parasympathetic system is over-dominant due to a prolonged period of stress where you're really trying hard to recover because you trashed yourself. Get it? So if you wake up and have a super awesome reading, it could be indicative that you are in recovery state and you best continue through that until your HRV gets back to normalized. The reason this was so important for me to understand is because I started to uh, feel a little bit disconnected from uh, the HRV reading on the, on the phone uh, and my intuition. Like, uh, I don't feel that great today. I'm kind of trashed, actually, but look at my high reading. That means I should go out there and train hard. And there's actually people that have spoken in this manner that are developing their own apps and uh, professed leaders of the HRV technology. So it was really confusing to me, and I kind of... Uh, went to the sidelines for a while. I monitored my HRV religiously for about a two-year period when I was uh, studying it and writing about it for the book Primal Endurance. And then I said, eh, you know, you just start to um, get a little lazy about it. Uh, but I think deep down, I was realizing that there was some disconnect there. And so now when you apply this breakthrough insight that we know a low, a suppressed HRV is a sign of overstress, that's a more metronomic heartbeat indicative of sympathetic nervous system dominance, meaning that you're uh, burning the candle at both ends. You need to settle down your life and try to get your HRV back to normal range. But the excessive HRV number could be a sign 
of uh, burnout and the need for continued recovery. And then let's end with the real humdinger slam bang from Dude Spelling's popular podcast guest. And he's on the list for a regular, he's going to be a repeat podcast guest because every time we talk, he has some amazing breakthrough insights. And his most recent one that has really stuck in my mind since April when we talked about it. So look for his old shows on the channel that possibly the recovery strategy of the future, the breakthrough recovery strategy of the future for fat adapted athletes, which is hopefully you if you're listening to this channel, is to fast after a challenging workout, to not eat when you get home from that awesome long ride, or in dude's case, a 50 mile rim to rim to rim crossing of the Grand Canyon, an extremely grueling hike slash running event that he did with a bunch of buddies uh, summer of 2019. And then he ascended to the South Rim, the finish line. And of course, there was a stack of pizzas that the organizer set up for all the hungry runners. And dude elected to go into his tent and sleep it off without any food after doing a virtually fasted triple crossing. So all he took was water and amino acids. So no calories, full ketogenic fat-burning machine. And then even at the finish line, he didn't eat any food. How crazy can that get? Well, what do we know about fasting? Universally accepted insights, scientifically validated insights, that fasting is when we are at our uh, optimal human function. Autophagy is at its peak. Apoptosis is at its peak. These are uh, Autophagy is the natural cellular detoxification process, so the repairing of damaged uh, cellular material. And uh, apoptosis is the programmed death of dysfunctional precancerous cells. So you're doing sort of a house cleaning whenever you're fasting. They call it a detox or a cleansing, right? So after a tough workout, when do you need cell repair to be at its very best? That would be after you've stressed the heck out of yourself with a triple crossing of the Grand Canyon. Theoretically, the last thing you need is to slam a bunch of pizza and beer and ice cream because these are, as we know, inflammatory substances uh, that that induce oxidative stress and do not uh, contribute to recovery besides just refilling the glycogen tanks. And we know from science, like the FASTER study, that the glycogen tanks can get refilled uh, on the spot by internal mechanisms, even if you don't eat carbs. That's what the fat-adapted athletes discovered in the vaunted FASTER study that was conducted about three years ago, uh, Jeff Folek and Associates. Oh my gosh, I know it might be less fun to think about performing a magnificent athletic feat and then not eating after, but we just want to open your minds and give you, put that little seed in there that that might be the recovery strategy of the future. And of course, life's about enjoyment and celebration. And so if you want to indulge after an impressive uh, athletic feat, of course, you're going to go ahead. But you know what? Here's a huge plug for choosing uh, healthy, nutrient-dense foods. So have yourself a nice old salad. That was my favorite recovery meal uh, back in the day when I was doing the really long bike rides. And that was sort of an intuitive leap from coming home for many years and concocting a smoothie with all kinds of powders and different ingredients, a lot of times that had uh, artificial sweeteners in there. So you're tasting some extreme vanilla uh, concoction and uh, knowing that this is helping your recovery because you're replenishing all these nutrients. But then for some reason, I just drifted over to the desire for a salad rather than a artificially sweetened drink. 
and that's what my body truly craved, and that's what I would uh, choose first. So if you're going long, going hard, working hard, come home and get yourself some good nutrition first, especially a super nutrient-dense meal like we talk about in the carnivore cookbook where, oh my gosh, if you put together some liver and some ground beef and some egg yolks, maybe a little bit of sun-dried tomatoes, avocado, guacamole, I'll have a huge bowl of that sometimes as my first meal at lunchtime and it's so incredibly satisfying and satiating that I'm not even thinking about food for many, many hours after that. So if you have these nutrient-dense meals on the heels of really hard exercise, really uh, difficult workout, then you'll be more likely to stay away from the inflammatory stuff like downing a pint of Ben & Jerry's in celebration. That's just not uh, closely aligned with uh, peak performance. And hey, if you're going to go and do that anyway, even though you listen to the podcast Brad Kern's suggesting against it, at least get the nutrient-dense meal in first. So have yourself a big old delicious salad. And then if you want to go have a bite of cheesecake, it's more likely that you're going to have two or three bites rather than 17 or 18 if that were the first thing that you reached for uh, when you walked in the door. All right, peoples, that's enough to think about, huh? Uh, Let's review the list. So the first thing we talked about was maintaining passion and competitive intensity throughout life. But being careful if you're playing speed golf and it's 93 degrees. Next, K-Star's admonition to spend 15 minutes of every workout hour conducting flexibility, mobility, injury prevention drills. Can you hold a deep squat? Let's see. Go down to the ground and see how long you can hold it. He has a 10-minute test for people that walk into his gym for the first time. That's right, holding a deep squat for 10 minutes. Stuff starts to burn after a minute or two or three, and those are indicative of muscle imbalances and weaknesses. So number three on the list was Dr. Craig Marker's landmark article of HIT versus HURT and emphasizing high-intensity repeat training, which is less stressful and allowing you to be more explosive and higher quality throughout the workout because of the uh, extended rest. Yes, you can do glycolytic workouts once in a while. Number three, number four, breakthrough workouts. So judge yourself on your best days, not on your average days or on your consistency factor. Just what can you do when it's time to unload? Great insight. Thanks, Marxist in 1988, circa. Next on the list is greater fluctuation in the stressed rest balance of your workouts. So easier, easy days. And of course, going for it and feeling great on those big days because you take care of yourself on the other days. Uh, Next on the list, number six, is have a little more restraint. So getting away from this no pain, no gain, and this commercialization of pain and suffering, and instead holding a little bit in the tank to unleash on those true peak performance efforts, such as a competition or a day when you're uh, going for a new personal best. Dr. Phil Maffetone states that 90% of your max heart rate is plenty Ever. You never need to exceed 90%. Uh, People, if your maximum heartbeat's around 200, that's 20 beats below your maximum. That saves you so much pain and suffering. And as detailed in Dr. Marker's article, the disassembling and deamination of the uh, cellular structures that causes uh, the, the recovery time, the ammonia toxicity in the bloodstream that makes you feel fried a day after a really tough workout, You save all that trouble if you can keep your heart rate down a little bit, leave some in the tank, 
Know that muscle soreness is actually undesirable and is a sign of breakdown and extended recovery necessary rather than continuing to challenge yourself with a little bit off the little bit off the edge. Uh, number seven is micro workouts. So these are these brief bouts of explosive performance that you can perform over the course of the day. I talked about doing the deep squats in your office, the pull-ups, uh, the deadlifts. A single set is fine. It really adds up over time. Next, we talk about recovery-based workouts and Dr. Joel Jameson's rebound sessions where you do things like dynamic stretching, foam rolling, and brief bursts of uh, high intensity. So brief stimulation of the sympathetic system and then a prolonged uh, recovery interval that kicks in a compensatory parasympathetic response. Then we talked about HRV technology and being able to gauge your state of recovery, your readiness to train, and fully understanding uh, the concepts uh, by knowing that uh, you establish a baseline over a long period of time, and you want to kind of track off that baseline. Lower means you're overstressed, your heart is beating metronomically, and higher than baseline could indicate that you are still uh, in parasympathetic dominance because you kind of overdid it. And then finally... The future of recovery from Dude Spellings proposing that fasting after tough workouts is the best way to initiate cellular repair, enhanced immune function, and all these great benefits if you can hang, if you can get to that level. And of course, you have to be a fat-adapted athlete to consider that. I didn't uh, emphasize that enough in in the original discussion. So um, if you're a sugar burner and you proclaim that you're going to fast after your Grand Canyon crossing, Uh, They will find you in your tent, and they're going to have to wake you up and give you an IV or something. So you have to be good at burning fat in the first place before you ponder something crazy like that. All right, peoples, thanks for listening. That's a lot to think about. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're we're talking about health, and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table? It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. Oh yeah, she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time, and, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> this is my pleasure.